The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod, and we're coming to you live from many places around the United States today. And I'm very excited. Today's a very big day here for all of us. You may not know that uh, this month is AAC Awareness Month. And so we've got two amazing guests that are going to be joining us in just a little while. Mike Hipple is coming back to the show, and he is, of course, a, an author and an advocate for people to have functional communication whatever that may mean. And he is a very um, inspirational young man and we're thrilled to welcome him back to the show. But he's bringing a guest with you that I didn't even announce to you guys that for the first time on the show, we're having Sarah Blackstone, who's going to be with us. And she was the original founder of the USSAAC. And they're going to explain to us what all of that means in just a little while. But believe me, if you have any member of your family that is currently non-vocal or um, used to be non-vocal, this is the show that you're going to want to be here uh, because we're going to be taking on those topics and why this is so important that we talk about it. But hey, I want to say good morning to a bunch of you that are already writing in. And I want to say to Cecilia, Cecilia, we're loving having you be a regular here, girl. So thank you so much for being here. And I'm saying hi to Tracy and hello to Bi. Is that uh, is that B L A or B I A? My site is going. Excuse me. So um, I can't see. The print is too small. But uh, welcome, welcome to all of you. We're thrilled to have you here. Which leads me to my next thing, which is that uh, we are live and we love to interact with you live. So uh, it's Bia. Oh, Bia, that's a beautiful name. Um, okay. And we're welcoming you from Boston. We love us some Boston. And uh, we got to go on a trip to Boston last spring. I actually lived in Boston as a child for a little over a year and had not been back in many, many moons. But my husband and son and I went, I was speaking at a conference there and we went <coughs> and had the, excuse me, the best week. It's all we've talked about through COVID. Remember when we went to Boston? Uh, we'll always have Boston. Good morning, Juan. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Alicia. So listen, there are lots of ways to interact. If you're watching and you're like, hey, wait a second, how are these people getting their names read out loud? All you have to do is interact with us. Good morning, Patricia. Welcome from New Mexico. Uh, and for Juan, it's already afternoon. So I uh, love that. Take a look. These are all the ways that, uh, well, this isn't all the ways. This is some of the ways that you could be catching us either live or recorded. On the first column, it's all the ways that we are currently live right now. We're live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Periscope, and we're always live on autism-live.com. Hey, I've got a funny for you. You know how we've been saying that there are difficulties with our website right now? Well, we've identified what the problem is. Uh, if you put in www.autism-live.com, it's not working. But if you just put in autism-live.com, guess what? It is working. We're solving that issue. Our, uh, hey, Sirwa from Ghana. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful that you're here. And Normalita from Indonesia. We got Indonesia in the house. I love it. Um but in any case, if you're trying to get to our regular website right now, the best way to go is autism-live.com. Don't put in the www. Apparently, it's no longer necessary, but we're going to make it so that even if you do put the www, it'll still get you there. Because some of us are old and have old habits. Apparently, we don't need the Apparently, the www is, is like passe. It's so 1994 um, news to me. 
but some of us still use it. So we're fixing it. In any case, you can get there right now and you can be watching the show there live and you can interact with us there live. And if you're watching on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, or Periscope, it shows up almost in real time. Uh, so Julissa, hello, good to see you too. Now take a look at the second column because it's all the places, no, again, not all, some of the places that we podcast. So we are a free download on iTunes, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Ghana, uh, new on Amazon Music, because it's new. We're on Audible. Check us out. And we're also on Deezer. We're on other sites as well. And I know I asked the other day, where else would you like for us to be? And somebody said that they would like for us to be on Soundgarden. And so we're checking that out. So we'll let you know. Maybe we will be on Soundgarden too. So uh, if you if there's some other place that you would like for us to be and you see that we currently aren't, please let us know because uh, it's it's probably because we don't know. Um, so we love it when you guys inform us. So I'm so thrilled that you're all here with us this morning for this really amazing show. We, I, before anything gets started, I always like to remind you guys that we have lots of experts and boy, have I got some experts for you today on the show, right? But I'm not one of the experts. Let's not confuse me with that. I am a very proud mom of an individual who was diagnosed with autism when he was two and a half and so excited that he got really good services. And so, you know, we are doing well and he is doing well. And this is part, part of how uh, I envision paying it forward, right? I want to be here not to just tell you what we did, but to help you to find solutions for you. And when I say you, this show is really meant for that larger autism community. We start with individuals who are on the autism spectrum. And, and I say spectrums, did you hear that when I put the S there? Because we know now that there's many different types of autism and we want to be able to help everyone. It's not one size fits all, right? But it starts with those individuals with a diagnosis first, foremost, beating heart of this community. Um, but we include in our community that we talk to on the show, everyone who loves those individuals, who wants those individuals to have the rights, dignity, resources, a lot of people in the community now are using the word ally. If, you know, for people who are allies for these folks, this is who we include in this discussion. We want to help all of you to get to the resources that you need to make the dreams and the hopes and the rights a possibility. Good morning, Jacinda. Good morning. Hello to Rhea. Uh, so that's why we're here. Our mission is very simple. We want to give you information and inspiration. To, to give you the resources or information about the resources to get the help and support that you need, um, but also to give you the inspiration to lift you up. We're not trying to can code anything here, right? But we're trying to help you to, you know, feel inspired to go and get the help that you need. Rhea, I just saw your son is now an ABA. Go girl. I hope it's good quality ABA because that's what it's all about, right? We, we don't want any of that schlocky, horrible ABA uh, because a lot of people think that's all there is is schlocky, horrible ABA. I got news for you. There's two different, there's many different types of ABA and some of it is schlocky, my new word for the week. Uh, but, but the good stuff is really great and life affirming and about the individual. Somebody says, yes, thank you for what you do, Shannon. On yesterday live, I called and set up a uh, for the 40-hour course, and I told them I was VIP, that Shannon referred me, and I'm glad that you did that, uh, <laughs> and I hope they enjoyed that. I always, uh, I always say, tell them you were with the Friends and Family program, uh, and of course, he's talking about the RBT program over at iBehavioralTraining.com. They have a 40-hour program to train people, the beginning training for being a registered behavior technician. They are offering it to caregivers. Uh, if you call them and say that you are friends and family with me, case-by-case uh, -case basis, they're giving it away. I know, <laughs> giving it away. So um, I love, uh, Patricia says, I love to listen into the lives, especially when Temple is on. I have three on the spectrum, so I appreciate it a lot. I got a hug for you, a virtual hug. Uh, and Christina, we're saying hello to Christina. I'm so glad. Did you call me, Sharon? Did you do that? 
Uh, somebody else did that this morning too. <laughs> and it's a funny with me, right? Because my whole life people called me Sharon. Uh, I know it's a typo. I know you know my name. Uh, but uh, yeah, somebody else this morning called me Sharon and I thought they were a telemarketer. And, um, and, I, and I was like, yes, because <laughs> they said, is Sharon there? And I was like, yes. And then it was somebody that I actually wanted to talk to. And I said, oh, just pulling me in. My name is Shannon. I thought you were a telemarketer. Now I'll use my, <laughs> I know it was a typo. It's all good. Listen, there are a lot worse things you can call me than Sharon, right? Sharon's okay. Uh, okay, so sending you big hugs too. Big hugs and to your little as well. All right, you guys. Uh, so just remember, lots of experts on the show. I'm not one of them, but I'm here because I want to be here and because I want to help you to get to the resources that you need for that information and inspiration. Uh, okay, so sending you all hugs. You know what I always say here? Si se puede. We can do this. Virtual holding hands, right? Okay. Uh, I got you. I see you're having an emotional morning, but I got you. Uh, so I have a question. My son paints his bed in poop. What can I do to stop that? Okay. Uh, and I see that people are sending hugs to people. I love that. Love that. Let's lift each other up. So when we got, uh, we got a behavior, right? And sometimes it's a behavior that causes us to be emotional. Yeah. And when your child is painting their bed in poop, I'm just going to guess that you have emotions about that. First thing I want to do to say to you is just behavior and behavior is communication. Yes. It's, you know, like it's going to bring up feelings and it's going to be disgusting and you want the, the, for this behavior to stop. But I, I, I want to start by just pulling the emotion out of it. This is not going to be the rest of your life. Cause I know sometimes something happens and we go, Oh, this, this is the rest of my life. And this is why everything is going to be poo for the rest of my life, literally. Um, but it's not, this behavior is a communication and I don't know what he's communicating but it's going to be really important. You said that you have ABA now. So it's going to be really important to talk to the BCBA on your case. And they're going to do something called an FBA, a functional behavior assessment. What they're trying to do is figure out what is the function of this? Because I got to be honest to you, there are many different reasons why someone would paint their bed in poo. Um, right. But it's, we have our four usual suspects that we choose from and our asterisk, our fifth, right. He might be doing to gain your attention because you might be good theater when you come in and see that the bed is painted in poo. And that might be enough to get him to do it, right? That's possible. And if that's the case, they will help you to school your face so that you don't give him good theater when it happens, that you just, you know, motor him out and somebody cleans it up, but he doesn't see that being, you know, they'll help you to figure out what it is to do so that he, if it's attention, he might be doing it um, to gain access to someone or something. It might be that when, you know, it has to be cleaned up, that somebody comes in to clean it up and that he gets to spend time with them. That's a possibility, right? Uh, and I don't know. I don't have eyes on it. And I'm not an autism expert, right? It could be that he's doing it to escape something. It could be that in the morning when the poo is there, or, or, you know, he gets out of doing something that he didn't want to do, like he gets to be late to school. It could be that he gets to escape boredom in the night by doing that, right? It could be that it's in his pants and he doesn't like it in his pants and, and he wants to escape that feeling. So let's paint it on the bed, right? Lots of ways that it could be escaped. And then of course, there's the last one before the asterisk, uh, but I don't think it's the asterisk this time, but, um, but we'll talk about it anyway. Sometimes people do things because it's automatically reinforcing, that there's something that's pleasurable about it. He may like the sensation of the poo. He may like the smell of it. He may like the feel of painting it on his bed. So your expert's going to figure out, and the fifth one, the, the fifth asterisk, sometimes is people do it for control. I'm going to guess it's not control, but your expert will look at it and tell you if it's control. But it's a totally different intervention depending on which one of those things it is. So we want to find out what the function of the behavior is, Right. And then once they do that, they're going to um, figure out an intervention that will have an antecedent modification. So they'll make a way that he doesn't have access to his poo to smear it on the bed, which might mean that he is in his pajamas zipped up backwards so he can't get at the poo. Sorry, you don't get the paycheck. Not going to not going to happen. Right. 
Uh, or it could mean that somebody sleeps. Uh, they probably won't do this because it would reinforce other behaviors, but they could have somebody uh, like a video monitor uh, signed, you know, so that you could stay up one night and watch. And the minute he starts to do it, you interrupt him, right? That possibilities. I'm just saying. Um, but obviously, uh, so first an antecedent modification, then there will be a consequence strategy that rewards him for not smearing his poop. That's really what that, because everybody thinks, well, uh, a consequence strategy, that means there's a punishment for it. No, 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 We will reward the absence of the behavior, right? And most importantly is they're going to put in a replacement behavior. So whatever the need was, um, the function that he's getting from smearing the poo, if it's attention, you're going to give him attention for other things that he does that are good. If it's that he needs the sensory thing, then we're going to get him some finger paints and we're going to get him some canvases and we're going to, you know, we only paint with the colors and we only paint on the canvas and we remove the paints and canvases if you smear the bed with poo, right? But we can't guess. You have an expert, use the expert. But I, I just want to hug you. This is not going to be the rest of your life, okay? Not going to be the rest of your life. All right. And that's the the hope and the inspiration right there, because sometimes we think, ah, this is it. This is where I am for the rest of my life. All right. We're really running low on time, but I wanted to take a minute to do that. But let's get right into something that we like to start Thursday mornings with uh, that we fondly refer to as the jargon of the day. This is when we take on one word, one phrase, one acronym. We give you the actual definition, then we make fun of it. Because really, what else can you do with it sometimes, right? Then we give you a working definition, which is meant to help you to start to understand what this term means. If you don't get it right off the bat, don't sweat it. We'll, you'll get it. But sometimes it takes long. Hey, Robin, good morning. We love you too. And you are on the correct path. You're doing good. Okay, so take a look. Today's term is tack. Now, we're not talking about the, a lot of us think of tact as being subtle and, right, that's not the tact we're talking about when we talk about autism. Uh, but I have trouble with that tact also. <laughs> so being tactful. Uh, this is different, what we're talking about today. So let's take a look at our actual definition and see if we can make some fun of it, shall we? So let's take a look, tact. Oh, goody. It's a verbal operant. Well, that clears it up for us. It's a verbal operant evoked by nonverbal discriminative stimulus. Somebody get me something sharp, right? <laughs> and followed by generalized condition reinforcement. Whoo, what on earth does that mean? There's so many jargon terms in there. If you don't know what a verbal operant is, how, you know, you're, you're dead in the water. A nonverbal discriminative stimulus? What is that? Followed by a generalized condition reinforcement. Just shoot me. I like, how can anybody understand what that means? That is so not helpful. Boo to that definition. Let's move on to a working definition, which will make the experts break out into hives because it's not going to be as specific as this, right? But a tact is spontaneously labeling or commenting about things that the child or individual comes into contact with for the purpose of communication. That's still poo-poo caca, right? But I want you to think about it this way. So we label things, right? And we label them... Um, receptively and expressively. So if I say to you, what is this? And you can say it's water. Great. Right. Um, you're labeling that it's water. Um, but I've, I've asked you and I said it and you just had to point to it, which means you receptively understood. If I say to you, what do you want? And you point to it and say water, that's a way of labeling, uh, you know, and even if you just point to it, you have an understanding of, and I say it's water, hopefully you have an understanding, maybe if you point to an icon or you push water on your iPad, that's what we need to be talking about today, then that's expressive that you're saying water, okay? Um, but that's labeling. And a lot of you will write in and you'll go, I don't understand, my child can say 10 words, but we can't have conversation. How do we get from labeling to conversation? Well, the tact is the first way. Uh, a tact is when spontaneously, without me prompting you, 
you label something in the environment, but it's with the intention of communicating it to me. Um, it's not it's not a solitary thing, right? So if if we're driving down a street and you see a dog and you go dog, right? You're you're labeling the dog, but you're labeling the dog spontaneously. Nobody brought up dog. Nobody asked you what do you see. I didn't ask you a question about dog. You saw it. You labeled it, and it was for the purpose of conversation. You didn't just think to yourself, oh, look, there's a dog. You said dog to me. Well, I'm in the car, right? And it's a way for us to connect. Now, that's a really important aspect of it because a lot of times our kids will, will monologue and they don't, they don't understand the volley of conversation and we want them to get there. So we want to strengthen tacting. It's really hard. Because if we want somebody to do it spontaneously without prompting, how do we teach it? And it's really hard. And they have something called impure tax and pure tax. So an impure tact, we can prompt it. And we can work on impure tax first. And, and when your therapists are working on this with you or with your kiddos, they do this in lots of interesting ways because they'll work on the senses. I remember one therapy session where they asked me to burn some popcorn uh, in the microwave, they said, you know, at 10 minutes into the session, will you burn some popcorn? And what they were hoping is that my son would smell it and go, something smells bad, right? Um, and but, but, but that he would verbalize it so that it would be some communication between him and his therapist. There were other times that we would uh, toss a helium balloon into a room that he was in so that he would notice it and go, balloon, you know, um, as a way of tacting um, to convey something to the other person in the room. So it's a really specific thing. And it's a really important building block to get to conversation. And I want to point out that it is not always verbal, that we tact in lots of different ways. And you can, uh, and let me correct my language because it is verbal behavior. So it's always verbal. It's not always vocal. That's what I mean to say. So we can tact by using an icon. We can tact by uh, pressing a button on one of our AAC devices. We can tact by pointing. We can tact by signing. But the purpose of tacting is to label something in the environment for the purpose of information or communication with another person. So it's not just labeling, it's like labeling on steroids. Um, okay, I think this is like when my oldest, who was nonverbal, had to tack the items he uses every day, like his toothbrush, uh, his bed from like a picture or an actual actual item. And I think that, you know, um, it, it is labeling. It is labeling those things, but it's specifically to point it out to another person. So the difference between just labeling the toothbrush um, you know, when we ask him, you know, what are the items that you use for getting ready in the morning? Right. Um, and when we say that, that's actually an interverbal just to frighten you. <laughs> but if we're asking a question and we're not saying what the thing is and wait, waiting for a specific answer, that's actually an interverbal. The tact would be if, um, if he pointed out to you his toothbrush and nobody had said anything about a toothbrush, but he was letting you know that something was going on with the toothbrush. That would be the tact. But they're all good and they're all part of communication and they should all be being taught. They're the verbal operants. And I encourage you to look that up if you want to know more. But the verbal operants are all the things that we need to get to that full communication that everyone has a right to. And it's the thing that I know a lot of you are, are really fighting hard to get it for yourself or for other people. So the tact is probably the hardest concept because it's like, oh, it's labeling, but it's labeling for the purpose of communication when no one prompted it, right? Um, so I, if, you don't, if you don't quite get it, don't worry. It took me years uh, and I know what it is when I see it, but I'm not the best at explaining it. So cut, cut yourself some slack and understand that, um, you know, it takes a while to get this. So in any case, the tact, hopefully I haven't 
thrown you all into oblivion. This is this is why we generally we need experts. Okay, let's move on to uh, yeah. I'm just checking the chat here. Uh, let's move on to what is our question of the day, and see what that is. So our question of the day is: What do you wish people could see? If you if there was high Nasser, high Ryan, um, what do you wish people could see? I have said this for so many years. If if we could just require that every single politician, and I mean everybody who's running for office, everybody who holds office, if we could just assign them to an autism family and say, we need for you, I, I used to say, I, I just want them to spend a day. And then I thought, no, because they'll miss out on the night. I really want them to do an overnight. And what I'd really love is if they would spend an entire week with an autism family. You know, before you can be a doctor, you have to do ride-alongs in ambulances. You, you know, they just force, they're like, we want you to understand what it's like from the other side. I think that if we could, uh, and obviously we can't force it, but what if we could encourage it? What if we could say to politicians, uh, you know, the autism community on the whole is a very large voting block of people. And if we said, we're not even going to consider voting for you unless you've spent 48 hours with an autism family, I think we would change the world because I think if they had eyes on the situation, they would go, oh my goodness. Have you ever seen that uh, show Undercover Boss where somebody is the boss on high and, you know, they make all these decisions in the boardroom and then they decide to go in and masquerade as a person who's working in their employee and they see things that, that they go, I had no idea. Like this, this problem would be solved if we just had two more coffee pots. Like this poor person is having to do this because we just didn't order two coffee pots. That makes no sense. Let's order more coffee pots. And their businesses always do better because it's perspective taking and it's the best of all that can be. And we don't have politicians with good perspective taking about autism. We just don't. Um, I, you know, I loved that um, Andrew Yang was on the stage this year because he has a child on the spectrum. Uh, and I think that he had a perspective of what it is like for our families. He has one perspective because his, his child has that particular type of autism that his child has. So he doesn't know everybody's story. He could still benefit from going and spending time with an autism family because we all could. We all could, right? Um, but uh, I just, I, I would love it if we, that's what I would love. That's what I would love to see. What would you love to see? Uh, what, what do you wish people could see? What do you wish people could know? Uh, write in and tell us. Um, Okay. Uh, so somebody said for sure on the politicians. And the question is, do you recommend teens with autism live away from home in a residency to gain life skills? Uh, and I would say to you, it depends on everything. <laughs> it depends on the teen. It depends on the living situation. It depends on the place that you want to send them to gain the life skills. For some people, it, it, and the right uh, place, it is absolutely the right thing. I, I just, it's, it, there's so many variables. Uh, okay, we got a great question I'm going to get to later, how to deal with a meltdown and what a parent does to resolve it. Uh, and somebody else said, I wish people could see that autism could be in each and every one of us and being autistic uh, is not always a bad situation. Yes. And, and I think we've got, gone a long way with that. I, I would say that the cutting edge of the other side of that is that I've now met some people who are like, well, autism, it's this great thing and you have all these great talents and there, there's nothing hard about it. And I'm like, oh, I don't think that's the message either. I'm with you that I wish that they could see that it's very individual and that each individual has a valid viewpoint and, uh, and things to contribute to society but also that there are challenges for that individual and that cannot be poo-pooed, yeah? 
Um, I wish professionals such as doctors could see that autistic individuals differ significantly. As an example, my son is empathetic and engages in eye contact, but he does not understand socializing. Yes, we need for more doctors to understand that. Absolutely. Let me get to the topic of the day, and then I'm going to go back and deal with the meltdowns before we get to our guests that we're expecting in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, so our topic for the week bum, bada, bum, is knowing what to ask for. And I love that you guys are here and that you're asking questions because that's what it's all about. And let me just remind, remind you, when you ask a question, it helps the people who are listening. Because somebody asked the question about how do you deal with a meltdown? And uh, I guarantee you that there are people who, who are on this call that don't know that there is a way to deal with the meltdown. So you've helped, you've been of service to other people by asking the question, because sometimes we don't know what to ask for. So um, let's talk about, uh, let's talk about meltdowns. What is the difference between a meltdown and a tantrum? And experts will say lots of different things about this, but for me, um, and, and talking to all the experts that I have, tantrums are something when someone is uh, really aggressively expressing something that they don't like. But here's the litmus test. If you were to give it to them, they would stop tantruming. Um, we had somebody, we didn't get to the question yesterday, but somebody had written in and said, my child tantrums when I don't give them something but I don't give it any gas. I don't pay attention to it. So I'll go someplace else and, and in the room and be doing something else. And my child will walk to where I am, fall down and flip out and cry there. And then I'll walk someplace else. She stops crying, gets up, walks over to where I am, lays down and cries. Uh, is, is that a thing? And that's very much a thing. That's a tantrum. That is a tantrum. I am behaving this way because I'm trying to get your attention or I'm trying to get something else. And if I'm not getting it, uh, I will change my tactics sometimes, right? Um, or I will stop doing it, right? Uh, and if you give it to me, I immediately, you ever seen kids who cry the crocodile tears where the tears are just shooting out? They're like, I want the, the toy. And you give them the toy and it's like, <laughs> it's all over. In that instant, that's a tantrum. A meltdown is when it is a tantrum has gotten to such a point that even if you gave them the thing they wanted, it doesn't stop because they are, that's why it's a meltdown because they are having a moment. And I think it's really important to recognize that when you're having a meltdown, there is usually a sensory component to it. And that is why it doesn't stop when they get what they want. And by the way, we never want to give them what they want when they're tantruming, because what that teaches them is I should tantrum more often. But I'm just saying, if it was given to them, they would stop. But you can tell when it's a meltdown, when they're, when they're inconsolable, that it doesn't matter in that moment because they are trapped in this moment. So um, there's always something else on board. And sometimes it could be, there's, uh, there's an establishing operation is what the <laughs> experts talk about. But I just say there's something else on board. So maybe they didn't get enough sleep. Maybe they have a headache. Maybe they're having an allergic reaction to something that they ate. I have an allergy to wheat. And if you give me wheat, like I can get irritated very easily just in my life. I'm just somebody who, like, you know, somebody will just, I'll be like, that irritates me, you know, because I'm a very sensory person. But if I've had wheat, forget it. I, I'm inconsolable. It is the end of the world. And I, I can feel that I'm not rational, but I can't stop it because I've had wheat. And our kids that have allergies to milk or to gluten, it, it is the same in them. And I can tell you as an adult, it does not feel good. And I know in the moment that I'm irrational. I'm old enough now that, I, that my husband will recognize, he'll go, have you had wheat? You were like, what's going on? And I'll go, I don't know. Did I have, what did I have? I'll bet this is contaminated. You know, um, your kids can't tell you that. So when a child is, is having a meltdown, it's really important that you don't uh, emotionally react to it and feel like it's the end of the world. We have to make sure that they're safe in the moment. We don't want to feed it. Right. So if there's anything that's happening that you can stop, in a meltdown and just stop, like just stop everything. 
uh, we, we don't want to give it too much attention, but that does not mean walking away. When I say too much attention, we don't stand over the child and go, why are you upset? You seem upset. Did you, you know, what did you eat? Like that's giving it attention, but it does not mean you walk away. You want to make sure that they're safe, that everybody around them is safe, that there's, you know, that they're not going to run out into traffic, that they're, you know, that they're not going to pull a vase off and, you know, that, Somebody was talking yesterday about that uh, their child took a hammer and and broke something. We don't give them access to anything that they can hurt themselves and other people. And that's really what you need to be doing during the meltdown is thing is scanning the area and going, what do I need to clear away? What do I, what do I need to move? How do I need to protect my child so that they're not hurting themselves or anybody else? I've had to do this in a grocery store with my son where I, you know, had to take the cart and, you know, use the cart and my body to create enough space for him to be someplace where he couldn't hurt himself or anybody else, right? Not trapping him, but confining so that we, you know, didn't have something worse happen. This was after he had overturned a cart and tried to overturn a cart with a baby in it, okay? Um, so, you know, we, we're scanning and we're trying to figure out how can we keep everybody safe? That's what we do during the meltdown. And we try to ride it out, really, because there's not a whole lot you can do once it's already happening. But once you know that you've got everything safe, you want to just start looking at at what's happening and going and taking notes in your head. You know, you know they're they're crying, they're screaming, they're yelling, and it's been going on for ten minutes. Here's what they're trying to do. Right later on, when they have exhausted themselves, and sometimes that's what it takes. You need to be asking yourself, what happened right before? What were the variables? Did my child sleep? What was their behavior like before? You know, what happened that spurred this on? It could be as simple as a tag in the back of their shirt. It could be a new laundry detergent that you're using. Check your child for their skin, for any hives to see if there's any, like, did their ears get red? Like, look at their whole person to see where am I seeing other symptoms that something else is going on? Did they go to sleep afterward and sleep for 12 hours? Like what else is going on? You really got to be a detective to try to figure out what's going on. But it could be low blood sugar. Did they, did they have something to eat? It could be food colors. We see a lot of our kids react to food colors. Uh, you know, especially red, there's a red one uh, that's particularly bad that a lot of our kids will melt down within 20 minutes after having red dye. Which number is it? I don't remember. But you really got to start to be a detective. For some kids, it could just be red foods in general. Um, it could be phenols that they're reacting to. And you, and you want to start to like look at the different variables and keep track Keep a diary of when did they have a meltdown and think back everything that happened before. What's different than the day that they didn't have the meltdown? It could be the fluorescent lights in the store. For my son, what we found out in the grocery store was that there's a place in the grocery store where it goes from a smooth um, concrete floor to a tiled floor. And he had a visual uh, issue when he saw tiles that made him think that there were holes there that he was walking on a grid and that he could fall through the holes. And that's why he was having the meltdown because him sensory wise, he thought he was going to die. Um, and his visual, his visual um, cortex was telling his brain, you're going to die if you walk onto that. Think about that for a minute. So we can crack the code on these meltdowns. You got to be a little bit um, diligent and, and inquisitive and looking at things, but look at everything dietary. Uh, and usually the skin will tell you if there's something dietary. Are they having an eczema breakout? Are they having a rash? Um, you know, but there are other clues too. And I'll bet you if you kept a diary for two weeks of when they have the meltdowns, you would start to see something. Like, are they pulling on their shirt? Because the tag in the shirt will do it for some of our kids. Are they only doing it in buildings where there's fluorescent lighting? Because I don't know if you know this, but fluorescent lighting, it, it, it vibrates at a very high rate. And most of us can't see it with, the, with our naked eye, but our kids can. And it will drive them batty. You, you know how when, it, when you can see it, when it's starting to go and you're like, oh, that's going to make me nuts, right? So uh, be aware of that. Okay, uh, we're, 
I think we're at the time where we, oh, we are past the time where we need to welcome our guests and I want to make sure we get to them. I know that there are questions. I'll try to stay a little bit late to answer questions, but I want to get to our guests if they are here, Traven. Are they here? Uh, yes, they're in the waiting room. Okay, so I'm welcoming back to the show uh, Mike Hippel. And Mike is an amazing young man. He's an AAC communicator, and he is an advocate for children and adults with complex communication needs. We love Mike. He is the founder of the Wisconsin AAC Network of Grassroots uh, Statewide Network to promote AAC in Wisconsin. And you're rocking a mustache, Mr. Hipple. Looking good. I've never seen you with a mustache. That's pretty fabulous. And he has brought with him, this is big doings here. We have a celebrity in the house. Uh, Sarah Blackstone is here with us, and she is an amazing clinician and the founder of the USAAC and is a current board member and a past uh, president and uh, past president and fellow of the ISAAC. It's a lot, a lot of letters there that you guys are going to have to explain for us. And she is a speech and language pathologist. So uh, and your, your, your list of credits, ma'am, includes places like uh, the Kennedy Institute, Johns Hopkins. I mean, I, we would need the rest of the show to talk about the amazing things that Sarah has done. So we're really, really thrilled that Sarah is here. But Mike, we're going to start with you. I want to welcome you and have you tell us about AAC and the community and what that is and why that's important to you. First, we want to thank you for having us on. My name is Mike Hipple. October is Augmentative Alternative Communication Month. I am happy to be back on the show talking about the role of AAC in the autism community and how our national organization can help. Augmentative alternative communication can be anything to take the place of or augment natural speech. It can be a communication device, an app on the iPad, or picture communication symbols. People use AAC every day and do not even think about it. Do you text or use a pencil and paper to write a note? These are examples of AAC. I started using picture boards and symbols at the age of two. When my speech did not come, I moved to an AAC device in first grade. Looking back, I should have started with a device at age two. Okay. I bet that we have someone watching today and saying that using a device at such a young age will hurt their speech development and they will never learn how to talk. We can understand that fear, but Sarah, is that true? I get this a lot from families, and what I say is we just don't know if will they talk or not. And Sarah, let's uh, thank you so much for that, Mike. You bring up such great points. A lot of our viewers have a fear that if their child is not speaking and someone recommends that they use uh, a device to learn to speak, that that means we're giving up and that they will never learn to speak. But Sarah, talk to us a little bit about this myth that Mike brought up. Thank you, Shannon, and thanks for inviting me, Mike, and, and Shannon to, to participate. This is really, um, what a nice uh, format you've got here. Um, we've There's a lot of research now that, that absolutely shows that the use of augmentative and alternative approaches, whether it's, uh, sign language or um, communication boards or electronic devices does not deter the development of speech. Um, as a matter of fact, in some folks, it actually can support the development of speech. And not everybody who uh, isn't developing speech at age two, uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're not going to develop a speech at age um, three or four or even uh, seven, because there are many different reasons why speech 
may be delayed. So one of the things speech pathologists do is to um, really look at the, the production of speech and what is, if you don't under, if you don't know, it really requires the coordination of more than a hundred muscles. Um, and it involves the brain and the tongue and the lips and the larynx and the lungs. So there's plenty of structures that are involved. And of course, as you were talking about Shannon, the understanding of concepts and language um, so that the reason for speech not developing can be quite different. And the reason therefore to use AAC um, is is not just to focus on speech, although you can continue to, to help develop that, but to make sure people develop language and can express their language and can communicate effectively with other individuals wherever they are and with whomever they want to communicate about whatever um, they want to communicate. So we all use AAC and we do it all the time, gestures, yeah. facial expressions, etc. Okay, I, I do need to ask you to tell the gentleman who keeps walking in in the background that he's on the air so that we know, because I can't have him be on the air without his knowledge. So I do need you to tell the person behind you that he's okay. that he's doing the broadcast. That's but, my husband, not to worry. Okay, yeah. okay. all right. Just want to be sure, because I don't want to put somebody on the air that's like, I no, didn't he, know. He, he should be doing another Zoominar over there. So he's <laughs> getting ready. He won't be on the air very long. But I, not to worry. <laughs> okay. I just want to make sure. Listen, uh, we, you know, I have this happen in my household, too. That So, you know, it happens. But I just wanted to make sure. We're waving at him. Harvey, uh, you're in the you're on the air and you're a distraction. <laughs> Not a distraction. I just have legal obligations. But uh, you brought up an interesting point. And, and I think that this is one of the ways that, Mike, you have been such an inspiration to me over the years and helped me to understand because listening to you convey how frustrating it was for you when you didn't have a device was life-changing for me life-changing for me. And I, and I mean that really sincerely. And I, I don't know, I think you have something prepared to talk to us about when you were frustrated and how you began to use your device. But what I know from being not verbal myself, it was very frustrating not having a good way to communicate my needs and wants. Nonverbal children won't do anything to get their points across. They will communicate through behaviors, which we all know that is a bad way. Some children and adults on the autism spectrum have impaired communication. 40% of them are not verbal. And the evaluation is a great place to start. There we talk about evaluation. So the, as, as I was really referring to, one of the things that um, is important is, is to bring in people with expertise so uh, you're not depending on myths. Um, and also making sure that the people you do bring in have the expertise that so they understand people with autism and, and the, uh, the spectrum and the fact that some uh, folks with autism really do struggle uh, to use their speech to communicate, although there's many other ways they are communicating. Uh, so the, per the reason to bring in a speech language pathologist is to determine, um, is to look at what's going on and what can you use to support the individual now and into the future. So it's not, there isn't, the and the questions that we ask are important. The wrong question is, what device should I buy? Hmm. That is the wrong question. That's often a question we get, but that's the wrong question. Because you really want, I think AAC, Augmentative and Alternative Communication, a better way of looking at what we want to do is CAA, Communication Access for All. So hmm. to flip it. Um, so what is any individual at any stage and any, any age with any kind of diagnosis who's struggling to make themselves understood using their natural speech? 
what can we do to support their ability to communicate across places, people, and and making sure that we're paying attention to their development of language at the same time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we promised that we were going to talk a little bit about what the USSAAC, there are a lot of letters there. Uh, let me make sure I get them all. Which one of you wants to address what that stands for? I want to talk about an organization that promotes AAC called United States Society of Augmentative Alternative Communication. USIC is the only society that works for and with family members, AAC communicators, and professionals to advance communication rights. Sarah, what do you think our audience wants to know about USIC? So, um... USAC is an organization that, that I wasn't the only founder. There was a group of people. Uh, and we are a, a chapter, uh, one of 15 chapters of ISAC, which is the International Society for Augmentative and Alternative Communication. And I think that the, um, what the benefits of, of, of USAC are because, first of all, it's, it includes anybody and everybody who's got some kind of passion about um, providing communication access to individuals who have challenges. And so part of what USAC does, it has members from all different groups. Um, one of our missions is to uh, promote the best practices and for communication for people with complex communication needs. And um, we have, uh, a focus on education and building capacity among families as well as as uh, professionals. We have advocacy, uh, a lot of advocacy committees, and um, we also address disaster preparedness uh, because people who have challenges are among those most vulnerable in a emergency situation or disaster. So we have a special committee that focuses on that. Um, so we're a, um, we're a rather small organization that is interprofessional and uh, really needs the participation of people who have communication challenges, as well as the family members and others who support them in one way or another. Um, so I will um, turn it back over to you all. Thank you. And this is, October is uh, the, a specific month for awareness. Mike, talk to us a little bit about that. Many families still do not know about AC. That is why it is so important for us to get the word out. In 2007, the International Organization to Promote AAC picked October as National Awareness Month. I know that families always joined the Autism Society of their state and I am a member of Wisconsin's chapter and my local chapter, but a lot of times they don't have workshops about AAC. I feel strongly that families and autism professionals could join both because we have benefits that they don't get from being a member of just the Autism Society. Sarah, can you talk about the benefits? Sure. The, the membership in, in USAC at the United States level also gives you membership in ISAC. So there's something really special about opening the world um, and realizing that people all over the world are the same and yet approach problems perhaps differently. So there's lots to be learned there. Um, and then we have webinars on a regular basis uh, that are free uh, and also that professionals can earn CEUs on if they're members. Uh, we have a speak up blog and anybody is invited to uh, present uh, papers to that uh, and information exchange. Uh, so there's a lot of activities and uh, we're one of our, one of our partners is the Red Cross. Another part uh, group we partner with is the ATIA. Um, and we've partners with the Autism Society actually uh, during some disasters and things. So um, we're very open to collaboration. Amazing. Uh, well, I just think that uh, 
this is an area that doesn't get enough focus. And even from the autism community, this doesn't get enough focus because everybody, I think there's this misguided thing that we all need to be um, pushing for the vocal communication. And there is a fear to talk about this means that you're never going to get there. And I think we've addressed that myth uh, here on the show and that you guys have addressed it today. Um, and, and I love to look at it from the human perspective that you brought the very first time you were ever on the show, Mike. Um, and you talked very succinctly about the rights of an individual and having the right to a form of communication that's possible for that individual. And I want you to know, Mike, that that changed the way I looked at things. And I've been I, I want to say that was probably, what, six, seven years ago that you were on the show for the first time and that I've been trying to spread that message to autism parents. But I, I think it's incredible uh, what you guys are doing. And I, and I think we should encourage everybody to be joining. How do they join, Sarah? When you say that they should join, what does that look like? Is that a membership fee? Is that just filling out something online? It, there's a... Um... There is a membership fee and it depends on, and it's sliding so that um, they, the people that we most want to attract pay the least, <laughs> which is the individuals who use AAC and their family members. And then we have uh, uh, professionals and they pay a different course, we also, uh, a different amount. We also have memberships for sponsors that are more sponsoring the organization. So uh, institutions and corporations. Um, and so, as I say, we, there's a way in, uh, no matter how you, you want to come uh, to join us. Okay. Well, and unfortunately we are uh, about out of time, but uh, I just can't thank you guys enough for being here. Uh, Mike, I, I'm always inspired by you. I, I love the work that you're doing and how you have, you know, changed, uh, been a part of the change that's been happening in Wisconsin. And you, uh, I, I love that you email me on a regular basis and let me know what's going on and keep me hip to this community. And you, you keep, you keep me honest, which is great. And I just appreciate you and everything that you do. And thank you, Sarah, for joining us. Uh, and please give our love to your husband. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm waving at him. Okay. Uh, but thank you guys so much. Is wait, is there a website that they should go to? Did we say what the website was? It's it's uzac.org. Uh, so www.uzac.org. And I just want to call him. He's going to his meeting now. So now thank you. <laughs> I, I just I, I just want to say I feel so much love for you. I once I once was speaking on a conference in Africa in like late at night, and I had said to my husband and my son, everybody has to be absolutely quiet. And my husband chose to take out the trash while I was doing it. And he knocked a chandelier over and it shattered during the conference with Africa. And I, you know, I threatened him afterwards. But we laughed about it. So I feel your pain. He was fine. He didn't take out the trash. He was a star on the show. Give him our love. And and, and I hope the argument that you have after this doesn't last more than five minutes. He, he loves to be on camera. So I, can I just say one thing? Yes. Okay. I, I want to call out Mike um, on behalf of, of you, Zach. And, and you mentioned that he's done a, a, a lot in Wisconsin. Well, he's just finishing up his second term as the chair of the membership direct of uh, the committee and USAC, and we are indebted to his um, all all the things he did with us for the organization and continues to do. And I just want to give a big shout out for Mike uh, on behalf of USAC. Way to go, Mike! You're impressing us all. And I don't know if you wanted to say something before we leave, Mike, so I'm going to pause. Sure. 
to me uh, you know I do whatever you tell me <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys. Right. Uh, I adore you both this has been such a privilege unfortunately we are past time so I got to say goodbye to you guys and I got to stay to answer one more question for somebody but thank you so much uh, Mike I love the mustache and I love your mission you're you're making it happen and Sarah thank you so much uh, we, we appreciate both of you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye, Mike. Uh, I'll tell you, there's some inspiration for you, right? Uh, I wanted to just take one second. I know we're past time. We're over time. And, um, but I, there was a follow-up to the tantrum thing and I promised I would get back to it. Can tantrums turn to meltdowns? It starts with screaming, ends with self-harm. Yes, of course. Uh, all meltdowns start with a tantrum. Um, and again, I think that there's a sensory component to it. What we need to do is start with looking at the tantrum and, and what the function of the tantrum is. But if there's meltdowns that are happening, we got to look for the sensory component of it too. And if there's self-harm happening, that's when it's time to like massively call in professional help. Um, I don't want to candy coat that at all, but um, you know, people hurt themselves. And, uh, and it's a very scary thing. So please promise me that you will get, uh, some professional help with that. Uh, a person goes on, uh, to write that it's comforting to know that I'm not alone. Thank you. My son has smashed TVs. He gets overloaded when he gets on a computer and he can't get out of it. So I really have to have, uh, have to time it and only have a half an hour at a time. Um, yeah, I, I, I will tell you that, um, the worlds that are available in computers are great, and it's, uh, it's 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 an amazing amazing thing. But sometimes our kids have trouble getting in and out. And you know, I think you're doing exactly the right thing, having it be timed and start and stop. And I will tell you that one of the things that I had to do for my son, um, because I didn't have the heart to always stop him when he was enjoying himself on the computer before it led up to the meltdown. I had to put it on a timer. There's a way that you can have the, the computer time out and turn itself off so that it's not you. And we would have to deal with the feelings that he would have when it would turn off in the middle of his game and it would sometimes spur a tantrum. But, you know, we were able to work on that and in slow increments and get him to the point where he no longer has that problem. He can stop doing something that he's on the computer and have the same feelings that you and I have when we're in the middle of something and we have to stop in that feeling of frustration, um, but do it without a tantrum or a meltdown. So work with professionals, but it is possible. And yes, our kiddos have a really hard time when they're in that world of Minecraft or whatever, and it's, it's real to them. They don't want to be pulled out and, and we want them to have that escape. Yeah, it's good, but we can't lose them into it and they will lose themselves. And later when my son was older, I would say to him, you know, what you're teaching me 
uh, and I would do this not when he was having a meltdown, when we, when he was calm, I would say to him, you know, you teach me all the time and you teach me how long is too long on the computer because when this behavior happens, if you want to teach me a different lesson, show me that you can get off the computer without a meltdown. And what he realized was if he got off the computer without a meltdown, it got him a reward that he got more time on the computer the next time. You know, but that's a concept for kids when they're a little bit older and have a little bit more self-control. In the meantime, we have to help them. And Robin said, I wish parents would face the early diagnosis of autism. It's scary and parents seem to want to avoid it. But early intervention is what these kids needs to have a chance at successful adulthood. Amen to that. Amen to that. Thank you all for being here. This was an amazing show that I learned from all of you. And I learned, of course, from Mike and Sarah, and I just feel uh, very privileged to have the opportunity to be here with you. We're back tomorrow live with Let's Talk Autism with Shannon and Nancy. I have no idea. I can't remember who the guest is. So we'll, you know, we'll find that out, but be back here. And I appreciate you all being here. Until tomorrow, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.